Good morning. It's great to be worshiping Jesus with all of you. The calendar is kind of unique this year, just the way that the days fall. We had Christmas Eve on Friday night, Christmas Eve yesterday, and we're right back here today. So and that's kind of perfect to sandwich the day of Christmas with worship together. Uh, and if you were here on Christmas Eve, uh, you heard Pastor Kirk opened up the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Um, and if you weren't, that's okay. I'll give you the quickest of recaps right here. He talked about the incarnation, which is just a big word that means how God became flesh and blood and came to earth and lived among us. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're maybe not sure what you think about God, I think for a lot of us from time to time, we get these questions in our head. Maybe we consciously think about them. Maybe they're kind of in the background and we try to ignore them a little bit. But sometimes we just wonder, you know, what is God really like? Or when God looks at me, what does God really think of me? Or how does God really feel about me? And on Friday night at Christmas Eve, Pastor Kirk was saying that when we celebrate Christmas, when we look at Jesus coming into the earth, that is the biggest moment where we can see right there how God feels about us and how deeply He really loves us. And this morning, I actually want to look at that same passage. I want to look at that again, but I want to look at a slightly different part of it uh, towards the end, one of those verses, and ask the question, if God loves us this deeply, what is God's love like? How does it look for God to love us? How does He love us? And the way we answer that question changes how we relate to God. It changes how we grow as followers trying to live like Jesus as well. So if you want to open up John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 to 14. Uh, we've got a Bible on the front of the seats in front of you, in the back of the pocket there if you want to use that, if you want to use an app on your phone. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Before we read that, let me pray. God, Your Word is living and alive. It's not just something from a long time ago that was written on a page, God, but, but You guided these words to be written down so that they would relate to us even right here this very morning. So God, as we read this, as we open up Your Word this morning, I ask that You would just speak to us, that You would just speak to each of our hearts, uh, and that You would communicate things that You want us to hear most of all. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 1, this is verses 9 to 14. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I want to zoom in on that last verse and really dig in today what it means that God's love is full of grace and truth. But before I get right into the Bible verse part of that, I want to take a tangent for a minute or two and share about a few different teachers that I had when I was younger. Uh, We talked about this passage with the youth group a few months ago, and one of the things I told them is that When it comes to substitute teachers, I think there are really mostly only two kinds of substitute teachers. There are the ones who are sweet and they're soft and they don't really care if you get any work done that day. And then there are the ones who are strict and they're serious because they know that you're trying to avoid getting any real work done that day. And I remember a substitute teacher that we had in Spanish class several times, um, and it was clear nobody was preparing him for the topics that we were covering. He didn't know what the materials were supposed to be, so he would come in and he would ask us what we were working on. 
So naturally, we told him that we pretty much only played games in Spanish class, but they were loosely related to Spanish vocab words. Uh, and on a good day, we tried to convince him that we played those games outside. He pretty much let us do whatever we wanted to. Um, he was really sweet, really kind kind of guy, but we certainly didn't learn any Spanish or grow in our skills when he was there in class with us. But I also remember a very different substitute teacher I had one time in an elective shop class. He came in, and you could tell from the start he was worried that we weren't going to take him seriously, so he pretty much started yelling at us before class began. Uh, he was concerned that with a substitute, we, we wouldn't tell him the truth, we wouldn't really work on the things we were supposed to, so he was blunt, he was straightforward, he was demanding. But that approach didn't really work that well either, because mostly we just didn't want to get yelled at, so we tried to look busy, but we weren't motivated for the right reasons, so we were really doing the bare minimum for him as well. Uh, but there's one other teacher that I remember very differently than both of these two. Um, his name was Mr. McWilliam, and he was actually a teacher for the seventh grade class when I was in eighth grade. But he came as a chaperone on a field trip that we went on. And the trip was at the beginning of the year as we started eighth grade. They wanted to have, uh, I had a smaller class, they wanted to have like this bonding experience to start off the year together. And so we went up to Maine, uh, we stayed overnight, and the next day we went whitewater rafting together. And when we got there that night, there weren't exactly the same amount of chaperones for every room we were staying in. So some of us were left unsupervised. And my room was me and a few other eighth grade guys, and we probably weren't the best group to have left unsupervised, but that's what happened. So when we were supposed to go to bed that night, um, we thought we were being funny, we were mostly being stupid, and we kept daring each other to make louder and louder noises to see at what point somebody would come in and yell at us to tell us to go to sleep. But nobody ever came even after my friend threw a box fan down the stairs. <laughs> Eventually, we decided to sneak outside. And then one of us, who I won't name, um, thought it would be a good idea to try to throw rocks at delivery trucks that were driving by every now and then. Um, I think we were young enough that we thought that was a fun and exciting activity, but we had no idea that it was actually pretty dangerous. Fortunately, we did ha have very good aim from where we were throwing them. We didn't hit any of them, and eventually we got bored enough that around 3 or 4 in the morning, we came back in and we went to sleep. The next day, we all got up for breakfast. We were having breakfast in this dining hall together before we went whitewater rafting. And about halfway through breakfast, Mr. McWilliam grabbed a second helping. He pulled up his chair and he sat at the table. I was with all my friends. He asked if we were excited about the rafting trip. We are chatting for a few minutes. And then about halfway through the conversation, just casually, he said, So when did you guys finally decide to come back inside last night? He pretty much knew what was going on the exact the entire time, but we had no idea. Uh, so then he proceeded to have a thoughtful conversation with us about safety and making wise decisions. Uh, but the whole interaction was warm and gracious. We, we knew that he cared about us, that he really loved us, but he also wasn't about to ignore the truth if he thought there was something we were doing that could potentially hurt us or somebody else. So that conversation has always been a picture to me of someone trying to love with both grace and truth. And I want to look back at this verse again with that picture sort of in your head, this verse, John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And if you haven't heard this before, when it says the word, it's sort of this philosophical, poetic way of referring to Jesus. And you could just paraphrase this and say, Jesus, God himself, um, came in flesh and blood and lived among us. We saw him, it was glorious, and his love was full of grace and truth. And I want to take a moment or two to unpack, kind of define these words, grace and truth, that are used here. 
Uh, the term grace that's used here is from a Greek word, charis, which means kindness, goodwill, or a gift of mercy or favor, especially when somebody doesn't deserve it. So when someone hasn't earned it, when maybe they've even done something wrong, but you still show them this compassion and this goodness. And it's actually really related to a Hebrew word as well, hesed, which we see a lot in the Old Testament, which is usually translated as steadfast love and refers to God's goodness, His kindness, and His mercy to us over and over again, regardless of how we act to Him. So all that stuff is kind of wrapped up in the idea of grace here. Then the word truth comes from a Greek word, aletheia, which means truth, sincerity, being real or genuine. It originally comes from the idea of not hiding something, not concealing or holding back from something that's true. And it's also really closely related to another word, a word in Hebrew, emet, which is often used to describe God's faithfulness, truthfulness, reliability, and trustworthiness. So if you take all of these things and wrap it up together, this is sort of the character of God's love. This is the way that we see Jesus loving people as He walks on the earth throughout the Gospels. Uh, But it's not just the way that we see God's character in the New Testament, it's actually how we see God's character throughout the whole Bible. And when you know that these words are related kind of parallel to each other, the verse we're looking at today actually looks a lot like a verse towards the beginning of the Bible from the book of Exodus. Uh, There's a part in the book of Exodus where Moses, who was one of the most famous leaders of God's people, he asked God, reveal yourself to me, show me who you really are. And in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 6, we read, it says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that love and faithfulness are those Hebrew words, hesed and amet, that pair with the Greek words I mentioned and correspond to the idea of grace and truth in our passage. So all of this together is what God's heart is like for us. And if you remember one thing this morning, what I want you to know is that when you wrap and intertwine all these things together, this is what real, genuine love looks like. And it's such good news for us because this is the way that God loves each of us, and it's the kind of love that we desperately need. Sometimes I think we don't realize how incredible God's grace is. It's easy to think overly optimistically about ourselves or kind of see ourselves through rose-colored glasses or even just distract ourselves long enough to never realize how often we hurt God, how often we actually hurt the God who created us, who loves us, who wants to have a deep and personal relationship with us. But yet, even when we do that, He's there time and time waiting with a radical grace for us, beyond anything we could imagine, just waiting to forgive and embrace us. And sometimes I think we get overwhelmed with guilt or shame or fear if we sort of look at ourselves the opposite way, kind of depending on your personality. And it can be easy to think, you know, maybe it would be better if God's love was mostly grace and maybe not as much truth. Because when people share truth with us sometimes, it can come off as judgmental or condemning. Uh, Maybe there's times where we felt like we have to hide a part of who we are or things we've done because we don't know how people will think of us or how they'll look at us. But God's truth isn't like that. God's truth is never aimed at tearing us down or making us feel ashamed. Because God's truth is part of His love, which means it's an invitation to healing and wholeness. When God speaks truth to us, even when it sounds challenging, even when He has to be direct to get our attention, He's only doing it because He knows us so well. He knows what's good for us. And He doesn't want to ignore things or leave them alone if they're going to hurt us or other people around us. 
God's loving grace and truth is an invitation to be accepted, to be fully a part of His family, but also to heal and to grow into all that He's created us to be. And there's a short story uh, further on in the Gospel of John that I think captures this dynamic of grace and truth and, and how it looks like love altogether. And so I want to just read this excerpt really quickly. This happens in John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching out in public, and then we read that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery to him. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to find a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This woman has done something really serious, and in their culture, it was especially dangerous. The consequences could be death, depending how they decided to react to it at the time. Now, she's also being treated unfairly, though, because you notice that the man involved is nowhere to be found. Uh, but if we try to imagine how she must have felt in this moment, I think there's three key things that I imagine. One first is shame. She's just been paraded in front of a group of people to point out this extreme thing that she's done wrong. Another one is probably regret, when you feel like you just wish you could go back and undo something, but you have no power to do that. It's already been done. Lastly, I think there's a lot of fear mixed in because she has no way to defend herself in this situation, and the consequences could be really serious, but there's nothing she can do now. But Jesus steps in and he protects her from this mob that was really just trying to use her as an example and doesn't actually care that much about what's going on. Jesus speaks with the grace of God himself and says, I don't condemn you. That's not what I came for. I didn't come to condemn. But Jesus also knows how self-destructive this pattern is for her, how damaging it's going to be if she keeps living this way, and he doesn't want that for her. He wants something better, so he also loves her with the truth by saying, go and leave this life of sin. Leave this behind. I have something more for you. I have something that will be better for you. Trust me. This picture of Jesus is how I believe that God approaches each of us. But there's so many things that can get in the way and make it hard for us to see that this is what His heart is like for us. And, and when that gets kind of messed up or gets filtered through other things or our insecurities, it really gets in the way of how we relate to God and how we really hear His love and respond to Him. When God invites you closer with His grace, do you trust that He's for real? Do you know that He's not pretending to still feel gracious to you, that He's not begrudgingly trying as hard as He can to feel gracious to you, but that He actually, every time, no matter what you've done, still overflows with a genuine grace for you? Please receive that grace. Accept it. It's exactly what you need. When you sense that God might be sharing some truth with you, do you trust that He isn't trying to tear you down, that He doesn't want you to feel ashamed? He's sharing it with you because He knows what you were made for. He knows what's good for you. He wants to bring you healing and growth. Don't run from God's truth, please, even if it's hard to hear. Listen long enough to remember that it's a part of His love, 
and it's just as good for you too. Recognizing God's character, being able to respond to it is at stake when we try to think of and understand really what God's love is like. But that also determines what it looks like for us to follow Jesus and to try to live out and reflect His love to other people. At the beginning of the Bible, God says that we are made in His image. We are made to be like Him. Of course, a lot of things have gotten in the way, our sin, the choice we've made, that gets distorted. But then in the New Testament, it says again that as we follow Jesus, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. We're being made back into His image to look like Him again. So if this is what God's character is like, then this is the calling for what we're meant to be like as well. But obviously, we're not God, and it's hard to love like this. And it's much easier for us to end up kind of emphasizing either grace or truth, but accidentally sort of minimize the other one and not pay so much attention to it. Some of us care a lot about the truth, about what's good, about what's right and wrong. We know that we can trust what God says in His Word, and that when we don't and when others don't, there are harmful consequences. But sometimes in our zeal for that truth, we end up sounding judgmental or attacking, or even like we're excited to point out how somebody else is wrong. But when truth is wrapped in compassion, it's communicated in a way where people can hear that you're only telling them it because you have a genuine concern for them. You want something better for them. On the other hand, I think some of us, we feel much more comfortable sharing only grace. We want to be empathetic and understanding. And even when we notice that things might be wrong or unhealthy, it's really hard to point them out because we think it might not seem loving or supportive. We don't know how somebody's going to take that. But it's not really loving to pretend that everything's okay when it's not, when there are things going on that could really hurt and damage someone that we care about. Now, of course, we don't have a deep relationship with everybody, so the amount we can share grace and truth with people is different depending on how we know them. And I've always found that when it comes to sharing challenging truth and love, we need to first show that we've shown the grace in order to get permission to share the truth. That way, when we share truth that could be hard to hear at first, people know where it's coming from. They know that we're only sharing it because of the love we have for them. But what would look different in our relationships with our family members, uh, with other people at church, with the people we work with, people in our neighborhoods, if we loved with more grace and more truth and our love looked more like the way Jesus loves? I'm going to wrap up now in the next minute or two, but I have two questions that I want you to take home with you. I want you to think about tonight, tomorrow, a little bit more uh, before you leave this behind. And the first one is, is there anywhere in your life where you need to receive the loving grace or the loving truth of Jesus? Is there something maybe that comes to mind where you know you've had a hard time believing that God actually has grace for you about that? Is there something maybe in your heart where you know that maybe God has been trying to share His truth with you, but you've been trying not to listen? It's too hard to hear. Maybe it's both. Where is there somewhere where you need to receive God's loving grace or His loving truth and trust that whichever it is, it's good for you and it's what He really has for you? I would even encourage you to spend some time praying about that, writing it down, writing something specific down, journaling that out. My second question I want you to do that with is, where in your life could you reflect more of God's loving truth and grace? Where are there people that need to feel that or a certain part of that love from you or where that could have an impact where Jesus could shine into their life from that if you love them that way? Are there relationships you have with family members, again, with people at church, people in your neighborhood, people at work that could be really impacted by that? 
And after you've thought of these, after you've really come up with a couple concrete things, I would encourage you to find one person that you trust is a little deeper along in their faith than you, that you think knows the grace and the truth and the love of God a little deeper than you, and talk about these things with them. At Christmas, we remember how Jesus came into the world. And we celebrate how he came into the world full of love, a love that's full of grace and truth for us. And I don't think there's any better way that we can celebrate Christmas than to receive that grace and truth, but also to let it transform us so we live it out more to the people around us as well. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the way that you love us. I know there are so many times where we might read these things in your word, we might hear someone talking about them, and maybe intellectually we know it's true, or we've gotten an idea of what your love, people say it's like. But there's so many things, God, in our heart that can get away to make it, get in the way to make it hard to trust that this is who you really are. This is how you really look at us. This is what it's really like to receive your grace and truth. So Lord, I ask if there's anything on any of our minds, any of our hearts this morning, tonight, tomorrow, as we think about this more, as we think about your word and what it says here. God, I ask that you would just invade us, that you would just overwhelm us with your love uh, so we have to receive it, Lord, and so we just accept your grace and your truth. We see how good it is and that we, we let it impact us and it just transforms who we are so we become more of the people that you made us to be. We thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen.